Hello, and welcome to Circle of Influence, a collaborative podcast brought to you by the CFDA and The Real Real, which takes a deep dive into fashion sustainability's past, present, and future. In a world still reeling from the impact of COVID-19 and social unrest, the conversation is more urgent than ever. I'm your co-host, Sarah Kozlowski, uh, VP of Education and Sustainability Initiatives at the CFDA. And on behalf of The Real Real, I'm your co-host, Julie Gilhart, President of Tomorrow Projects and Chief Development Officer of Tomorrow Limited. On our final episode in the series, we are joined by an incredible trio of guests who use their platforms to connect the dots between sustainability, circularity, and the human and social component. Joining us is Cassandra Diggs, President of the Council of Fashion Designers of America, James Rogers, the Director of Sustainability at The Real Real, and Sanjeev Ball, Founder and CEO of Cytex. Thank you all so much for contributing to this important conversation today. For having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's the last one. I'm kind of sad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've had many people email me saying, I want to be a part. <laughs> oh my gosh, we might have to continue it. Part two, part two. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. So uh, I think well, we'll start off with questions for everyone. In Barack Obama's recent biography, he mentions the necessity of resilience. So, I mean, it seems resiliency and innovation are key themes in the process of our recovery and transformation post this challenging time we're all in. So from your different points of view, is there a specific challenge or opportunity on your horizon that innovative thinking is providing a solution? Um, Maybe James, since you're at The Real Real, which is a huge fashion tech company, do you want to start? Sure. Well, you know, I think being a sustainable company is equal to being a resilient company. And COVID has kind of showed us some of the cracks in our current system and the way we do business and how really being in a, having a stronger connection with what we're doing and our impact on the environment is not only good for the environment, but it's good for business. And the businesses that weren't doing that before COVID didn't have a stronger connection to their supply chains they suffered more than the companies that were thinking about that ahead of time. So, you know, my answer isn't really about a new innovation. It's about something that some companies have already been doing. And I think it's just become more important that innovation should equal sustainability. And we should be thinking about it in those terms going forward, because those are the businesses that are going to succeed in the long term. Often we think of innovation as technology. And I think in this particular point in time, we have to really think about innovation from a social standpoint and the way we think about our economic and political systems and how business operate um, for the good of all people and the good of our society. Um, I think if we can sort of work from experiences and have those, sort, you know, work together in proximity and how do those experiences lead to different outcomes, um, I think that would be innovative um, going forward. Um, work Instead of working in silo, working um, collectively um, to solve for, for bigger issues. Yeah, definitely. That's a big issue that I think we have to learn to do, but it's definitely a new one. Sanjeev, what about you? For me, the way I look at it is innovation is the, is the driver 
for future um, change. But I think in the short term, circularity and embedded tech is going to play a critical role in redefining uh, the way we operate social and environmental impact missions. Um, integrating social impact, environmental impact into you know, positive financial impact is, is going to be a big conversation and the holy grail to, to crack. Um, additionally, on the innovation side, I think the way we've done things in the past has clearly proven that the model is broken and it needs to be fixed. And I think there's an opportunity for disruption. And the dis disruption could be more towards uh, material sciences and material innovation into the future. The big question is, why do we continue doing the same things the way we did it for the past 50 years? How about a different future, a future where we just had about six things in a wardrobe, uh, items that were connected into all our daily devices, items that we could change color or even temperature control, um, you know, to our, to our women fancy versus the continuous buy waste mechanism that we live in today. So I think, you know, there are different conversations to be had on innovation on the product side, uh, fusing embedded tech, like I mentioned, making it more circular. When I talk about circularity, it's about ensuring that we give equal importance to social as well as environmental impact. Absolutely. I think also one of the challenges is, is will and, and, you know, the desire to, to make those changes. We're used to having things operate in a certain way and, and we've become very comfortable with that. And I think this pandemic has sort of shaken us out of that. We're, not, we're no longer in that level of comfort. And I think this is going to bring some really great um, innovation and change in, in industry and how things are produced. I think, you know, part of it is the messaging behind everything that we're doing. I think we have to inspire um, to get people um, engaged and, and ready to individually take steps, organizationally take steps, and, and industry take steps um, towards a new future that's going to be better for all of us in the long run. And ultimately, I'd love to see us get to a point where we're actually regenerative in nature, not just zero in terms of zero impact, zero footprint. So that's both from a social and environmental side. So you're, you're buying apparel that is helping lift people out of poverty and provide uh, good working conditions while also actually maybe cleaning up the environment instead of just getting to where it has no impact on the environment. That's kind of the, the holy grail. And I think that's become more valuable to people as we've gone through this, this last year and the turmoil that we've seen. We've realized not only do we have to stop causing harm, but we have to heal some of the harm we've caused in the past. You all spoke so much about value and how important human capital is, natural capital, social capital, and how this pandemic has opened a, a door of opportunity for really a value system reset, uh, particularly within the fashion industry. Do you have any um, advice on how you approach navigating all those different uh, values so that, that there's a balance uh, in the choice making? So in other words, uh, thinking about um, people as well as financial decisions in a balanced way. I think in the in the past, there's been a common line of thinking that 
sustainability or social responsibility often butt heads with financial returns. The way I like to talk about it is through driving business value, as, as you use that term just now. And that can be a lot of different ways. So from an environmental standpoint, which is kind of my focus area, it can be reducing costs, increasing revenue, which are kind of the more traditional ways, but there are also other ways that you're driving value. It's employee retention, a stronger emotional connection with your consumers. It might be risk avoidance down the road. There's all sorts of other ways that these efforts are driving value. And I don't think we as a society have done a good job of quantifying those benefits or accepting that those benefits are real. And this is kind of the the tipping point of people realizing that it's providing all of these other different elements of value to an organization. And therefore, um, it's not in contrast to profitability. It's actually a complement to it. Absolutely. In terms of building purpose, we all have to be mindful that we yet have to be profitable. You can't escape that because, you know, you have to energize your profits to further build purpose. Now, from my personal experience, what I've encountered over the years is something that I stick by, and that's long-term value creation. Uh, If you're in it for the short haul, then it's about, you know, one quarter to the next quarter and one year to the next year. But, you know, from from my personal experience, I can tell you that radical resource productivity is profitable. So if you do invest into... Um, renewables, you invest into water recycling. Uh, We've encountered six to seven year break-even points. And well, then after seven years, after you recover your investments, you make money. What we've also encountered is that vertical integration is profitable. For example, um, today we work with farmers. We go directly to them and buy a cotton from them. So there's no middleman. Through the whole process, we realized that we could pay the farmers 5% more than they were getting paid because, you know, somebody else was making the money. Now, that allowed us to get a little bit more transparent, more agile, um, and integrated with speed and transparency, all built into one, lay out capital investments into a mill, which allows us to produce our own fabric and then convert it into garments. So at the end of the day, you know, every year our costs increase, nothing decreases. You got to keep on, um, you know, employing the right minds. You have to continue with uh, increments and so on and so forth. So you have to continuously keep investing into long-term value creation. And you must have the resilience, the stamina, um, and, you know, the mindset not to, not to deviate from your purpose mission um, and just 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 hold tight and make sure that you're profitable. Now, granted, maybe you you would not be as profitable as your as as your neighbor, right? But but you know, what your neighbor doesn't have is impact, uh, social, environmental, as well as um, uh, you know purpose impact. So I think when you look at your own personal balance sheet, and you know when you go to bed with yourself. Uh, I think there's several other, you know, questions you have to answer. That's so well said. I think to just add on to that personal balance sheet statement, which is, which is so great. Um, Often when I make decisions and, and some of the business leaders that I know, 
we involve our emotional intelligence in that decision-making. It's not just about what the Excel spreadsheet says. And, and we find that when we engage ourselves emotionally and compassionately, we often make better decisions and, and have better outcomes. Having a level of, of sort of self-awareness, not just, you know, not business awareness, but, but self-awareness um, and, and really regulating that, keeping motivated and, and things of that nature and, and really just engaging your ability to be sensitive to, to others really makes for better business decisions. Thinking about your employees and, and thinking about the impact um, on them and the environment, um, taking in consideration their health care and their mental well-being certainly elevates the cost of business. But it, but it also, when you address those issues, you have happier employees and that happiness quotient um, is exponential. And, and again, it really, really impacts the bottom line positively. For the audience who may not be so familiar, um, can you share a bit about your company, Zytex, and its uniqueness as, I would call it, a progressive platform in the fashion business? Zytex, I would say, is a, is a circular manufacturing system. What we have is, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we've got some very strong partnerships with uh, the farmers, where the cotton comes from. We had to make apparel intelligent. Uh, something which was authentic, something which was verified, and it was, uh, you know, was trusted uh, through technology. So we invested in a in a company called FiberTrace that allows uh, DNA traceability, trackability with the uh, NFC codes and uh, QR codes attached to, you know, the, the apparel at the end of the day, which also gives you multimedia content at point of uh, sale. It kind of allows you to visualize the whole journey. And at the same time, through blockchain, it's verified. And through scanners, you can tell where it was made, who made it, um, and if it was um, truly stitched in a particular factory, it was. Um, so there's there's transparency embedded into uh, the fiber. We've, we've uh, managed to take uh, the fiber and deploy it into a mill in Vietnam, which goes online Q1 next year. Uh, we'd be in a position to make fabric. The mill is an exciting venture because uh, first what we did is we took 40% of the land and converted in, it into uh, hydroponic farms because we think that food is as important uh, a resource as uh, you know, water and energy. So of course the, the mill is, is powered by, uh, uh, by renewables, uh, we're recycling every single drop of water. In fact, uh, there's no blue water usage. We use just gray water, wastewater from other industries, clean it up, and then use it for our production processes, and so on and so forth. The mill allows us to uh, maneuver that fabric into uh, our uh, manufacturing facility in Vietnam. We're experimenting with microbrewery, modernized, automated factories. This one is successful. Maybe we'll have several more you know, agile uh, manufacturing warehouses, which would could adapt uh, to consumer demands, you know, at speed. Though these are, you know, the economic models, during the pandemic, we finally built our dream factory, the factory of the future. This one's in Vietnam, it's called Recut. So our ambition is to scale that up from the current 70 um, associates to about 1,000 by 2025. So that's a social venture. Um, 
you know, been fortunate to partner up with IKEA. Uh, we also were really fortunate to be nominated by Reuters as uh, the most diverse and inclusive organization in 2020. So that was a, a shot in the arm to keep progressing on that path. We uh, also have a factory in Thailand. It's called Stella Pop, where it's patent pending, but we have an invention which allows us to recycle waste textiles into a product which is a substitute for wood. So with this material, it kind of eliminates the, the need for wood. So inspiring. I would call that a plus for innovation. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe that innovation is, you know, that's the thing we have to do. You, you have Sanjeev who is very active in creating innovation and then he's sharing that with, with other smaller, you know, brands or companies. And, and then before you turn around, the whole industry and the whole ecosystem mm-hmm. is, is shifted for the better. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I I would just like to highlight for those who are not familiar with apparel supply chains who are Mm -hmm. are listening in or watching this, what Sanjeev just explained and and (laughs) described is absolutely amazing. You know, I I hope people out there aren't assuming that everybody is doing this or even that some other people are doing this. Literally nobody else out there is doing all of these things. There might be some suppliers doing one or two of the initiatives that you just described, but nobody is putting all of them together. So really just congratulations and and kudos to you for for doing that and really hopefully driving the entire industry forward because I think there is a disconnect between um, suppliers doing good work and and getting credit for that good work. So I just want to make sure that people out there understand this really is the forefront of sustainability in, in every sense of that word and innovation in every sense of that word as well. I mean, I also will add all three of you, it's really important to be able to translate the good work that you're doing into a layman's term and give mm-hmm. it a story because I think that's the new marketing. We have to sell our ideas um, for the greater good so that we can create business so we can keep doing the greater good. So I have a question for Cassandra. With your leadership and expertise in the in the design world, how are your um, how are your designers thinking into the future? What is driving them, and what is what is also at the same time holding them back? It's a good question. Thank you, Sanjeev. <laughs> I think what is driving them is really their passion for creativity. I think they want to be able to design beautiful clothes and want to be able to share those with the consumer and and those who are interested. But I also think they're, they're also knowing that their passion could be causing harm um, in in ways in which are exponential and and bigger and grander than, than they even could imagine. It depends on what demographic we're talking about. If we're talking about designers of color, some of the things holding them back have to do with economic investment and, um, access. Um, if we're talking about all designers, um, economic investment and access is still the issue, right? And so, you know, being able to operate in a system that's fair and just, um, at every level. So from retail, from supply chain, um, all of those different facets is the thing that sort of concerns them and, and challenges them. How do we deliver this beautiful product 
um, and still keep our margin, um, deliver value to the shareholder, any of the stakeholders involved in this. These are things many years ago designers didn't have to consider. And now it's at the forefront of their design principle and, and how they run their businesses. Um, I think having people that are business operation, highly knowledgeable and experts are important to these businesses to, to sort of help them frame their operations and create a structure um, where they can develop ideas, but then also deliver those ideas in, in a successful way that doesn't take advantage of the environment or their employees. It can be a very stressful thing to have to put on a fashion show. Um, and, and sell product. There's got to be a way to have balance. They don't want to be too much in any one direction. And figuring out that balance is, is really where we're headed um, to say, yeah, we love clothes, but do we need a hundred pair of shoes? Do we need 10 pairs of jeans? Do we, do we need that in excess? You know, I think one of the things that's so awesome is what the real real does in, in terms of the circularity and, and, and reselling and, and giving clothes new life um, so that other people can make, make use of that. And I think one of the things that the CFDA is going to be challenged with is not just solving the problem, but bringing people together um, to solve the problem. Really tapping into Sanjeev and James and, and Julie and Sarah and all the great minds that, that have expertise in this business and really trying to ideate um, what this business looks like next year and in future years. Right. And, and you just mentioned about the real real. So James, uh, please share your experience with us. It's amazing. I heard you guys have 18 million consumers. How did you do that? If you look at our business model, it's, it's inherently sustainable, but really it's a, it's a win, win, win. Uh, across a lot of different categories. Maybe it's even four or five wins in a row. But we're keeping products out of landfill and extending the life of them while also highlighting these quality-made, durable, luxury items. And a lot of the people consigning with us have said, over 50% have said that the environment is a, a driving reason for why they consign. And then over 30% of the people buying on the Real Real website have stated that they are buying on the site instead of buying a fast fashion item. So it's, again, highlighting that durability of that product. It's creating a stronger connection to the consumer. Um, and to your comments about connectedness and data, you know, I hope down the road that we also are able to integrate something like that as well so that we can actually tell more of a story behind these quality products. Wouldn't it be great if you could scan a dress with your iPhone and it told you who made it, how it was made, where it was made, what materials went into it, and maybe even something about the previous owner. Was it on a runway somewhere? Was it at a famous party? And then you're really creating that stronger connection with those products and highlighting those fashion, durable, luxury products um, so, that, so that they stay in circulation longer. You know, we throw away a lot of apparel every year. I think it's over 10 billion pounds in the U.S. alone goes into the landfill. Um, it's about 70 pounds of textiles per person per year going into the landfill. And over 30 pounds of that is just clothes. So think about that. That's a lot. Think about, you know, 
30 pounds of clothes is, is a big pile of clothes that's going to the landfill every year per person. So if we can reduce that amount, we're reducing the amount of natural resources we use. We're keeping it in circulation longer. And we're also reducing the amount of space needed to landfill these things. Um, and that's the tie-in to the circular model instead of this linear model. We need to really rethink that. And hopefully that's an influence on other companies as well, thinking about their business models and even the apparel companies and the designers thinking about how if they make a more durable quality product, then that item is going to have a longer life and it's going to say a lot about the work that they're doing and how they're affecting society. I mean, also for the real, real, I can go back to the days when I was at Barney's and when we would do a vintage, you know, which is basically mm-hmm. resale too. And we had huge issues with our customers that were very sophisticated, that they didn't feel like they wanted to wear something that was used. <laughs> You've got a billion dollar business. I don't know the exact number, but of, um, of, of changing the way people shop. It is completely okay to buy something that's reused and will also change the way people shop because they know that if they change their minds, they don't like it, it no longer fits, they have a place where they can easily resell it and buy something else. It's so radical in the way it has shifted a shopping pattern that it's worth an example to look at. We can make these shifts. And that was only that was only six six or seven years. Yeah, we're we're seeing a trend where when people are buying new product, they're actually looking at what the resale value might be for that product before they make their purchase decision, which is great to see because that means they want to know if it's a quality product, durable product, has that secondary market before they make that initial purchase. Yeah. So. Um, just a just just an idea. Um, since uh, I have the opportunity to uh, to partner with two great minds here, what if uh, with all the textile waste that we all committed to cleaning up, um, you know, in our in our plant we we take the textile waste, whether it's from the real real or anywhere, and we convert it into uh, beautiful furniture, um, but designed by 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 people. Um, who Cassandra nominates? Hey, listen. Uh, you you mentioned uh, a lot of them who who you know have got challenges. I think when we're looking at solving problems, we we need to be very inclusive in solving problems. So what if uh, Cassandra throws out a couple of designers? Uh, yeah. What if we take some waste, convert it into some beautiful stuff? James, will you will you stock a few things in your stores? Yeah, you know we're we're actually going down like that, that road already. I, 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 yeah, I, that. I appreciate I appreciate the pitch. <laughs> I, I'm here. I'm here for it. Well, I'm just having such an amazing time listening to the co-creation <laughs> and the dialogue. I'm wondering, I'm ready for it. This is why uh, proof of concept of we are all connected. To circle back once more to impact from your vantage points, um, it's hard to measure impact in some cases. Do you have any last words of advice or tips on how do you strive to measure success, particularly when we're talking about social impact and things that are harder to quantify uh, than in financial values? I think it is truly hard to measure, but I don't think if it's hard that it shouldn't be measured or we shouldn't attempt to measure it. I think how I determine success is if 
you know, when you look at results, does it shift behavior? Does it impact the culture? Does the culture change? Does it, does it get better uh, based on the results that, that you're getting? And so I, those are the types of metrics that I would focus on uh, normally. Um, of course, business metrics are, are, are there, um, but it's certainly about behaviors and attitudes. Um, and if that's changing and you can sort of look at that, that's, that's where it's at. That's the positive part to that. For us, it's pretty straightforward. It's super simple. Uh, on the environmental side, are we carbon neutral or not? That's the big question. That's the standard of measurement. On the upcycling side, it's, uh, you know, how many trees did we stop from getting felled by using waste textiles into substitute for wood? But other than that, on the social side, the measurement is simple. How many people in our organization do we have with different abilities? We are committed to, uh, you know, 20% of our workforce uh, must, M-U-S-T, be embedded with people with different abilities. So until we don't reach those numbers, it's a mission which is unfulfilled. So again, you know, I think, I think each one of us has to set up very simple goals for ourselves because once we start getting into semantics and, you know, in dialogue, then it's all about stuff which is so hard to comprehend and then even more difficult to achieve, right? So, you know, I just encourage everybody just to set up very plain, simple goals. Sanjeev, quick question. I think you gave me a statistic about uh, people with other abilities. There's a percentage, 15%. Yeah, I think the problem is a little beyond that. Now, I'm not a betting man, but I would guesstimate another 5% on top of that mm-hmm. for, for, you know, cases and people who have been, who have different levels of disorders. Maybe it's autism, maybe it's ADHD. There, there's so much other stuff out there that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that we as humans just create, we just keep them aside. Let's put it this mm-hmm. way. Let's be frank, right? We don't integrate them. We don't, we, 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 you know, today we're talking about inclusivity and the inclusivity conversation is more around color, race, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think that conversation needs to be extended, right? Because, yeah. because this population that we're talking about, listen, it's a billion, billion and a half of us, right? And there's no real program in place, either by governments or by families or by social systems, whatever system you want to call it, mm-hmm. that guarantees security and hope for not only these, uh, these people, but also their families who have the biggest worry of their life, which is what happens you know, to, to, my, to my son or my daughter or my nephew or whoever, right? After I pass away. So there are big unanswered questions and a big problem to solve, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to um, people with different abilities. So it's not just the percentage, Julie. I think it's also about the problem and our, um, you know, and our, and our ability or inability to solve it completely. Yes, I think the percentage, though, for in a layperson's world where they think they're very in- inclusive because of color, gender, or size, that, that 15% is a large amount. It's really, I completely agree with you that's gone um, unnoticed. Right. It's really good that you bring this out because that's a, 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 a situation that's not being addressed in the fashion industry, and we're fully capable of doing that. So, um, and it would be such a beautiful thing to happen and good for business. 
I think that's where we need some transparency. It would be great if companies could share some of that demographic and data um, so we know what to solve for and, and, and really address it directly. On, on the environmental side, we've, we've created a proprietary calculator that actually shows people the um, savings from a carbon and water standpoint by buying consignment and keeping items out of the landfill and, and reducing the amount of you know, production of, of raw materials that we might need. And on the social side, you know, that is a little harder to measure. And also because we don't have our own supply chain, and that's where most of the social impacts are further up into the supply chain. So, you know, where we think there's opportunity going forward is, again, highlighting those other brands and companies that we're working with that are doing that good work to hopefully influence the industry and make them more well-known so that they get credit for those efforts so that, again, it becomes a, a circular model in the sense of just influence that um, that as people are awarded for doing those good things, there's more incentive for others to do those good things as well. My gosh, we're going to have to stop. This is awful. Part <laughs> 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 For, uh, use the word incredible and that was what this conversation has been and the world that you are in and are creating is I think the world we need to be living in I can't thank you it's really I can't thank, thank uh, you I can't thank all of you all for connecting all of us this has been thank wonderful thank you so much yeah. yeah this has been great Thanks. something amazing is coming out of this just watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean and then thanks to the CFDA and Real Real for making this all happen hopefully we can continue the, the conversations post this and I'm sure you will be inspired and you have inspired others um, it's a really good time to be thinking about inspiration so I'm so grateful for all of you thank you so much thank you yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wishing wellness. Circle of Influence podcast is co-hosted by me, Julie Gilhard, and Sarah Kozlowski, and produced by Hanger Studios. If you like what you're hearing, rate and review. It helps other listeners to find us. And of course, thank you so much for listening. 